We get on the mics, we have a little dance, we put our headphones on, we get ready, getting into podcast mode. You know what I need? Uh-uh. A coffee and a cookie. No, you don't. <laughs> oh, uh, well, this is the part where I say something unintentionally funny and then you just like put it in the start of the thing and it has taken me 10 episodes to fucking wise up about it. I'm a cis woman, and my pronouns are she, her. Hello, I'm Jerry Kramer. I'm a trans woman, and my pronouns are also she, her. Let's do it together. Welcome Welcome to to Meet the the Kramers. Kramers. See, it's hard to say it at the same time as somebody else. (laughs) How, How are you feeling today? I feel horrible. This is becoming a pattern. Last time we recorded the podcast, I had a horrible sleep because I had caffeine and a cookie with chocolate, which also has caffeine, and I was exhausted. And this time that we're recording, I'm also exhausted because I wear a CPAP machine. It helps me sleep. I clean it once a week. I cleaned it. I put it back beside my bed. And then last night, I just crawled into bed, put my mask on and went to sleep. And then at one o'clock in the morning, I woke up and the... Inside of my cheeks were so dry, they were stuck to my teeth. And I realized I hadn't filled the chamber with any distilled water. So I was just breathing hot, dry air. And I now feel like death. I'm so tired. Happy to be here. You look amazing. <laughs> what did what did he say? Who? Uh, Billy Crystal <laughs> on Saturday Night Live. You look marvelous. So anyway, I'm just... I'm super pooped yet again. So that's a thing. But anyway, I'm happy to say that we have been receiving some really wonderful letters from listeners. And we actually got a physical card in the mail. Can you hear that? It's an actual paper physical card. And it says, some people just seem to have a special gift for sharing their hearts in the most amazing ways. And then inside... (laughs) I can barely read it because I'm sorry to this person, but I can't read your handwriting. Every Saturday, I look so forward to your podcast, your authentic and vulnerable sharing of your journey, both individually and as a couple, is such a gift. You are both brave and fucking amazing women. (laughs) Can't read the name. I can't read the name. Anne? Garrett? Carrot? Garrett? I don't know. Thank you so much for this card. This is so sweet. This is our first actual fan mail that came in the mail. It's amazing. It makes me feel so good. It's so sweet. We've also been getting a lot of amazing uh, messages through our Instagram at Meet the Kramers. Part of this message said, thanks for the idea of the coming out letter template. I have a major life transition unrelated to gender sexuality to inform the people in my life about, and it's scary. I'm going to go the email route too and give them time to process and not have to see that process. It's really lovely to think that the stuff that we're putting out there is really helping impact and shape people's lives in very real ways. I don't know, it feels good. We also got a message on Instagram that said, I just want to say how in love with your podcast I am. I work from home and have been listening to an episode each morning while working through emails. And it's such an amazing and educational way to start my day. 
My favorite part has been hearing Jerry's story from a personal view. It has helped me so much as a cis woman to understand the potential deeper thoughts and feelings of my trans friends. And I love that I get to laugh and often tear up in every episode. I love that. I don't know how to break this to you. I've got some bad news. (laughs) No, but it's not bad, bad. (laughs) This season, our goal was to tell you our story about Jerry's transition and her road to coming out. And this is the episode that brings us pretty much to present day. We'll be releasing a new episode every two weeks because we thought a weekly podcast would be a good pace for us. (laughs) But running a full-time business and recording and editing the podcast has been a lot. You're going to get two episodes a month instead of four, but maybe we'll just make them longer so you get the same amount of time with us. We have plans to talk about finding clothing for Jerry as a woman who's six foot three. I know some of you wanted me to do an entire episode about my hair and about what it was like to lose it during chemo. So email us at info at meetthecramers.net or send us a DM. How many times am I going to say that this podcast? It's ridiculous, but we love to hear from you. And... One of the things I've been aware of as we talk about the past is how many different phases of life we've had, like chapters in a book. And it's been really interesting to look back. This episode, we're going to talk about the aftermath of you coming out. And there's a lot of tattoo talk. I'm always nervous to talk about the tattoo business. I feel like I don't want any pushback from from our peers, but I also kind of feel like if we don't talk about this stuff, nothing will change. And we want to say before we start that we don't think we're better than anybody. In fact, we as a business probably have a lot more work to do. We are a constant work in progress. We feel like you should never be done learning something, right? It's just like constant retuning or fine tuning. We are talking about this stuff, but we're not specifically calling anyone out. We do say toxic male tattooer a lot during this conversation. And that doesn't necessarily mean all tattooers. But if you feel like we are talking about you and your business then maybe that means it's time to get curious about your business model and do some work to make some changes. We're hoping that by discussing some of the stuff in this episode, that it's going to help facilitate conversations among some of our peers. Because obviously this change doesn't happen in a vacuum, but we do need to start with a trigger warning because we are going to be talking about some predatory behavior, assault and abuse. So please take care of yourself if you do decide to listen. And then I went to get ready for work. You took my phone away from me so that I wouldn't have to see any of the hate. And I just started refreshing the pages and refreshing the pages. And I just, I just waited for the, I waited for the hate. And we got no hate. We got no bad comments. Nothing on the TZ socials or our personal socials. We got not one single negative comment. And I was dumbfounded. The unexpected lack of backlash was shocking. Jamie had convinced me we were going to be ruined. I was so shocked that so many people from my past that I hadn't talked to me in years reached out. It was just a... Fuck, it was just so nice. It was so nice. Did you... You worked that day. I was at home for some reason. I did. It was incredible. God, I can't even describe it. The, The fucking love I got that day was just... I will remember it forever. I made that post, gave you my phone, I went and got in the shower, I came out, I'm like, I'm ready to go to work, and you said, oh, you better look at your phone. You're going to have to look at your phone. There was so much love. And so I took my phone with me. I broke our I broke our plan because I was like, there's so much 
goodness coming out of this. I can't not see it. And even if there is a bad comment, I'm going to be fine because there's so much love. And, and then when I got to work, all these flowers and gifts started arriving at the shop. So many nice shout outs on the socials. It was just, God, it was just such a great day. What did it feel like? When I think back to that day, I was like a painting of Jesus just floating <laughs> in the sky, light around me glowing, my robes flowing, my hair blowing in the wind. It was just, it was amazing. Oh, it makes me a little weepy in the eyes. The response from our clients was really incredible. I really thought that coming out would impact the business because I've been tattooing for more than 20 years. And even though I didn't think people were going to be mean to my face about it, I really did think I was going to have a lot of people just quietly leave my life. I thought it would maybe feel like when we move the shop, like there'd be like sort of a downturn in business for a bit and then maybe it would pick back pick back up later. I didn't notice it. I didn't notice my clientele recalibrate. Nothing changed. It just didn't happen. There were clients in my head that I had decided wouldn't be able to handle my transition. And all of them surprised me. They all showed up. And I noticed that when when I did see them for appointments, we were having like deeper, way more interesting conversations because I was definitely, I'm like, I'm not as guarded anymore. I think we subconsciously or consciously or both set up the shop for success because we moved the shop to the new location after my cancer diagnosis because my cancer scare had really changed how we wanted to run our business. And that meant changing, also changing the culture of our shop. And our goal with the new shop was to have people we didn't have to micromanage. Artists who wanted to come to work, come to work on time, who are like stoked to tattoo every day, who are jazzed about the business and enjoy customer interactions and the whole thing. They love the craft. Because in the past, we'd had some artists who like loved the image of being a tattooer, but who didn't necessarily love doing the work. And we used to watch Kitchen Nightmares, the UK version, I want to clarify. And um, Gordon, who's not really a great human, but anyway, some of the things he would repeatedly tell restaurant owners on the show really stuck with us. So he'd say, strive for excellence, focus on doing one thing well, take accountability for your actions, hire well and fire when needed, value your staff, maintain standards across the board, lead by example. We took some of those things that he said in the show and we started applying them to the shop. Yeah, we only wanted people to work with us who love their craft. With those changes in the business, we lost a few artists who didn't get what we were trying to do, but that made room for us to hire people who were into it, who who kind of got our vibe. And it definitely wasn't perfect at first and we really made some mistakes, but that's how you learn, right? Yeah. Oh, and then something happened with a poster. What was that? Uh, it was around the time uh, that conversations were just starting to happen in the culture of safe spaces. There was a tattooer in another city. I honestly don't remember what city who made a poster for his shop that said, this is not a safe space. And it really kind of set me off. It it kind of got a little traction in some tattoo circles, the super bro tattoo circles. And I hated it. It offended me as a person and as a business owner because it made no fucking sense. Why would anyone want their business to be less than? And why would anybody want to make people uncomfortable in their <laughs> shop? Like, I don't understand it. It's a moment in my life that was like a straw that broke, you know, that camel. <laughs> it, it was right then 
decided I don't fit in this culture. I don't belong in the tat bro circles. And I mean, and bro culture in general, because I'm a woman. (laughs) Uh, And I really started pulling away from it. And I just kind of started doing my own thing. We had a person working for us at that time who thought that the not a safe space poster was hilarious. Um, And I told him why that was wrong and that the shop that we were actively trying to make it a safer space. And it was part of what we were doing here. Um, And he just sort of, I don't know, I don't even think he was listening to me. But my other response was that I made a poster for the shop. Like safe space posters had started popping up in other businesses because of Trump's election. And the posters were popping up all over social media because, you know, we were all seeing how emboldened racists were becoming. And so when I originally made the poster, that's what we were thinking about. And I took the wording from all these posters and kind of changed it to suit the shop. Like I took out the part that said kids are welcome because tattoo shops are not not child-friendly. Anyway, we stuck the poster in the window. The first thing you see on the poster, it says, you are so loved. And then it lists everything everybody who is safe in our shop. And then I started getting messages from other businesses in town who wanted the poster. So we started selling them and um, we used it as a vehicle to raise money for the ccla.org. They fight for civil liberties, human rights, and democratic freedoms of all people across Canada. And so far we've raised a couple thousand dollars for them and our poster is all over the city. It's pretty rad. Anyway, it wasn't long after that, that same person was let go because of abusive behavior towards a coworker. And I don't know if it was like a temper tantrum because of the poster that I made or because of the shift in the shop. But I do remember you calling me when this particular incident happened to ask me what we should do. And I remember thinking, no more tat dude bullshit. And we let him go immediately because I think up until then we'd always let a lot of shit slide, have a long talk with them about our expectations, and then we would give them a second chance to do better. Unless somebody is actually willing to do the work to be better, the same shit just keeps happening. I mean, we had a group of artists watching fucking hardcore pornography on the shop computer one time um, while our receptionist was hiding in the back crying, and we didn't really, we didn't really do anything. All we did is say, like, don't do that. And I also asked them to show me what they were watching, which they wouldn't. And I said, if you won't show me, then don't watch it on the shop computer. And that's it. That's all we did. Like, we really failed her. And I hate thinking about that incident in particular. I'm surprised that she continued to work for us for so long. And um, I bumped into her about a year and a half ago, and I was able to have a chance to apologize to her for that and for not protecting her. What a fucking shit show our shop used to be because, like, the monkeys were running the zoo. The zoo! (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that part of you wanting to give problematic artists a chance was because you were in the closet about being trans? Like, I know you never wanted to make waves in the tattoo community. I don't want to talk about it, and I'm super embarrassed by it, and incident in particular is terribly embarrassing and it showcases my failure as a leader. It fucking pains me. But guess what? We learn from it and we never put up with that kind of shit again. But also guess what? They find new and innovative ways to toe the line. (laughs) Although that wasn't towing the line. That was just fucking crossing it. I have always felt out of place in the tattoo world. Taking over the shop and becoming the boss was something that I thought would make me feel better about my place in the in the community, like my standing. And I thought because I'd have the power to decide, I would be in control of the narrative of the shop. It was my space. I could control who came and who went, who did what, who was there. But I was just bound, like handcuffed by the 
this tattoo bro code. And I made tons of personal sacrifices in order to keep the peace or to placate. I wanted to and I needed to keep the shop desirable to those toxic men to stay in business. And we didn't really have social media like we do now. So there was really no way to get a a word about needing new artists. And I, I honestly thought it was the only way was to ride this line between running the professional shop that I knew I wanted and would be proud of and having a space that artists would want to work at. But we put up with a lot of toxic bullshit to do that because we thought we had no choice. Like we di- we just couldn't see any other way to do it. I feel like everyone knows this because this is my whole life, but Buddy out there probably doesn't. So I just want to like talk about tattoo shops for a second. Tattoo shops, in my experience, are traditionally white, cis, straight male centered. I didn't know another queer tattooer or work with a queer tattooer for many years, partly because I was so in the closet and so focused on my own reputation among my peers. I was trying so hard to fit in that all my energy was going to making sure my peers didn't think I was a corporate sellout. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) This fucking culture of tattooers when I came up in the 2000s. It was, and I mean, it still is to a huge extent, is that we're pirates. There's no rules. Honor among thieves. It's this twisted subculture, even though we're all running actual businesses. And there's this twisted perception that tattooers are somehow cooler or better than everybody else. Like they're some sort of rock and roll kings and queens. <laughs> but they're not. <laughs> I'm I'm generalizing, but in my experience, uh, most male tattooers are just sensitive artists who have like built up this bravado persona so they can make art without being called out for being artistic. Like that's a a negative or something. The male tattooers I've experienced usually have really thin skin. They're usually awkward dorks. And I mean, aren't we all? And um, a lot of them are in the closet themselves, but maybe not about gender stuff, but more because they want to be artists and they're hiding behind this like toxic tattoo dude thing so that they can make art, but not get called out for making art, for being artistic. Like, I don't really get it. They were like little broken birds, just like the broken birds in the punk rock scene. Like, you know, some of them I knew their backstory. And the like compassionate mama bear in me is like, oh, that's why they're like that. Or, oh, it's because of this. And so I was constantly making excuses for them, for their bad behavior. Right, because they're super charming. And that's why I would take them aside and go for a walk or... Have a heart to heart. Have a heart to heart four or five times before I finally said, pack up your fucking shit and get out. Because I really felt like I could fix them. If only someone would just take the time to say, this is why we don't act like this in a real civilized professional business. Maybe they'll get it if I just could say it the right way. Why would they? They're like white and male and cis and everything in the world is given to them on a platter. Yeah. There's no impetus to change. And then all that does is perpetuate this like toxic tattoo bro guy culture about not snitching, about not being corporate, about how there's no crying in tattoo shops. Snitches get stitches. Tattoo shops are like supposed to be salty and rough. And if you can't take it, you don't belong. And because of this culture like in many other businesses where there's a strong power dynamic, there are also tattooers who are predators who are using their power and status to prey. And because there's this thing that tattooers are cool and everybody just wants to be part of the cool club, 
there's no accountability. Yeah. And then we're going to kind of jump ahead a little bit in the timeline to talk about what happened in 2020. There was this massive call out like or shakedown of predators in tattooing. And it was on an Instagram page that doesn't exist anymore where people would submit their story about their abuse, their abuses from uh, tattooers. This call-out page not only said the artist's name, but would repost the survivor's testimony for everybody to see. One of the hardest parts for me was that I was not surprised in any capacity at seeing any of the names on the list. I have constantly worked with predatory dudes. We've even had a few at our shop. We ha- we've had artists use our appointment book as their personal dating phone book. and We didn't know it at the time, but they were texting clients who were in the shop for a tattoo and trying to hook up with them. And nobody told us this was happening. The artists didn't want to snitch. Um, I'm sure the customers didn't feel like they could tell us. Then we started to notice that when we would fire a problematic person, that's when everybody would sort of come out of the woodwork to tell us all the bad things that they were doing. And that's something that I've always hated about this business. And I, I never understood how to navigate. And early on, we never thought about contacting a professional to talk about how we could create a safer space because we were kind of still operating like we were pirates too. I think it was 2005 or 2006, I had a queer customer suggest to me, you should look into safer space training for the shop because some of some of the language that is being used here is not great. My, my reaction was in line with Toxic Taproll Club. I think I said something dumb, like tattoo shops aren't supposed to be like that. We're salty, we're blah, blah, blah. When I think back to it, it really, I get so, I'm, I just cringe. I really gave them some version of an all lives matter energy in response to their suggestion. And I fucking wish I could go back and give myself a slap, but I was really, I was so afraid for the business. I thought I had to run our shop like everybody else. I know we felt like in the past that if we demanded accountability from our coworkers, we probably <laughs> would have been working alone. Although now I know that it's probably not the case because if you make space for those who are marginalized, that's how the culture shifts, right? Yeah. So anyway, during this Instagram shakedown, there were a lot of Canadian tattooers, a couple of them working here in Victoria who were called out. And as far as I know, only one of them had any charges brought. To my knowledge, many of them are still working. These dudes just move through it like it doesn't even matter. All this stuff happened in 2020, but the predatory behavior has been happening on this other side of tattooing for a really long time. I wasn't paying attention to it because I was drinking the Kool-Aid and I wanted to fit in. And I also didn't want anybody I worked with to know I was queer. I let a lot of shit slide and I'm fucking mortified that I did. I wanted to talk about what it's been like for me in this business because I know I'm not a tattooer and that I'm just your business partner. And so I always felt like I needed to be a step behind you in terms of how I presented myself to other tattooers because I don't tattoo. So I'm not considered important. I've been working in this business as long as you've been tattooing. And so I have a place, but it's not ever respected by toxic male bros. I've never felt like I've been allowed by others to be beside you shoulder to shoulder. A lot of times when we would go visit other shops, like if we were on vacation or we were in another city or at a tattoo convention, um, the male tattooers will never acknowledge me. It was like, I was your lady and that was it. After they would shake your hand and start talking tattoo stuff with you, I'd kind of shove my hand in their face and say, hi, I'm Sarah, I'm Jerry's partner, blah, blah, blah. 
and they would ask me if I tattoo and I would say, oh, I help run the business with Jerry. And then it was like I was a ghost, like I was just invisible. And eventually I stopped trying to assert myself because, well, one, I convinced myself I didn't care what Joe tattooed Ding Dong thought about me, but it it did weigh on me. And I really started to hate hanging out with whatever group of tattooers you were hanging out with because... I wasn't included in the conversation because I wasn't considered equal. And then if I was included, there'd be a lot of mansplaining. Like I hadn't been working in a tattoo shop for 20 fucking years. I remember at one convention, you weren't there because you were sick. I was walking around the convention hall with my female coworker and we were looking at different artists' merchandise and I was trying to find you some t-shirts to bring back as a gift. And I asked this tattooer if they had an extra large shirt and he was like, you mean an extra large shirt like my dick? And I just looked at him dead in the eye and I was just like, shame on you. Or I, I think I said shame on you or I said like, your mother must be so proud. And then I, we just walked away and um, him and his buddies were just laughing. It was so fucking stupid. And it didn't really phase me because it wasn't the first time that I'd heard dumb shit like that from a, a male tattooer. And I just remember walking away thinking like, I'm so over this business Anyway, as for the shop, there were some obvious changes to be made and we put up our poster and we started advertising on our social media that we were actively trying to be a safer space. And I even asked our followers on Instagram for input on what we could be doing to be a safer space. And one of the suggestions um, was to take down any racist imagery that we had up. Tattooing has a long history of cultural appropriation as well as straight up racist caricatures. And the images um, reach back to like the 30s and the 40s when sailors were getting tattooed in every port. The images are of like half-naked white women with First Nation headdresses on or gross caricatures of Asian or Black people, et cetera, et cetera. Even the devil head images are actually caricatures of Jewish people. And we had been blind to the images for so long because they're part of tattoo culture since we started. And I don't even think it registered as racist until somebody mentioned it. And so we immediately looked at all our tattoo flash on the wall and took down like four or five pictures, I think. And it was so humbling to realize that we had that big of a blind spot. Yeah, so we removed those images. We changed the pronoun stuff on our intake form. We made small adjustments to our website. We have a land acknowledgement, etc. We make minor adjustments as we go along. We work off of input from uh, from our customers, um, from folks that know better, so that we can try and make our space as safe as we can, knowing that we don't get to decide. The space is safe for me. It's my space. So I'm not in charge of deciding that. That's, you know, for everyone else to decide. But we are trying to create an environment that fosters that. Yeah. And every once in a while on our on our Instagram, our Tattoo Zoom Instagram, I'll, I'll just say, hey, what can we be doing better? And just ask for input from our customers and Good yeah, stuff to somebody say. will say, put menstrual pads in the bathroom. That's right. Yeah, someone suggested we put free pads and tampons in the bathroom. And so now we have a little basket. And um, if you need a tampon or a pad, feel free to take one. That was a great suggestion. It was a great suggestion. I would never have even thought of that, but that's maybe because I'm in menopause. <laughs> so around the time of that Instagram takedown page, I was feeling really helpless, like reading all these survivor stories I mean, it was obviously triggering because um, of my own assault, but also just the amount of women who had been preyed upon was just so uh, horrible. 
the stories of the assaults here in Victoria in particular really shook me. And I was, I felt emboldened by their bravery um, in sharing their story that I wanted to try and do something to shift the culture in our business and not our business, but like the tattoo business. And I felt like this moment in time with all the tattooers being called out was the perfect time to start communicating more with the other shops because the studios need to change. The artists need to change. Our clients deserve to have the best possible experience. You deserve to have whatever tattoo you want without the fear of being assaulted or harassed. Tattooing has always prided itself in being a niche market or underground or only for people who are in the club. But the truth is that tattooing has been a part of popular mainstream for a very long time. And tattooing someone is a really intimate act and it puts our clients in a really vulnerable position. There is a massive power dynamic uh, happening in between the artist and the client. So for many tattooers, tattooing is the first or one of their first and only jobs. Um, Many of them have had no real work experience outside the industry and therefore haven't really properly been trained in any kind of customer service. Most tattooers start out by doing an apprentice first with another tattooer. And a lot of times an apprenticeship is actually just free labor for the owner of the shop and very little learning happens. Traditional tattoo apprenticeships are usually based in this toxic hazing and being stomped down during the process of learning. You have to get broken down before you can build yourself up or some fucking bullshit. I personally have never heard of anyone having a good apprenticeship experience. Except for Chris, who was your apprentice. Except for Chris, who was my apprentice. (laughs) Who's embarrassed that he doesn't have a horror story. (laughs) Many marginalized folks, trans or BIPOC, queer, really any non-cis men, tattooers will just start working out of their houses or private studios because the culture is so unwelcoming. Working on your own creates its own set of problems, though, because there's no professional structure and you can't learn in a vacuum. When you start talking about assault and tattooing, you're not protecting yourself from being harassed or assaulted by working in a private studio. If it's happening in street shops, it's for sure happening in private studios. So it's just not a great situation because of the way it's been built. You know, all the isms, sexism, racism, otherism, homophobia, transphobia, it's all the norm. Tattoo culture has its roots in bro culture and it's so slow to change. Lots of shops advertise that they're a safe space. I'm not just talking about tattoo shops. Many do not know what that actually means or it's just performative. And that's what we were doing. I realized that we actually needed to dig deeper than just having a poster in the window. So I contacted my friend, Natasha Tony to help us. We've known each other since high school. She's a sweetheart. And um, she runs a business in Vancouver called Elevate Inclusion. You can visit her website at elevate-inclusion.com. Natasha and her team do workshops to help businesses build inclusive spaces, as well as helping to create a safer workplace culture for staff and customers. And they work with clients to build their cultural awareness and to create a pathway to building an inclusive business. And they do all kinds of stuff from like leadership coaching, conflict coaching, education about Jedi work, Jedi meaning justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. The list is long, but the one thing that I was really looking for her for help with was culture development. I told her what was happening on the call out page 
and what my goal was. And she offered us a, a friends and family rate for the workshop in the hopes that the other tattoo shops would jump on board for strategy sessions. She asked me to write out what I thought some of the main issues were so we could um, create a tailor-made program for the shops. And I thought I'd write down a couple things like racism in tattooing or how women are treated. But I ended up writing like a very dense <laughs> three or four page manifesto. And the, the biggest thing that I wrote that stuck out for me was that was the bro culture. This business has been built on a toxic bro space for so long that it takes a lot of effort and extra energy for others, women, trans, BIPOC, queer, et cetera, to be able to be included at the table. So the burning part for me was that no shops talk to each other. Most shops, I mean, at least in our city, don't talk to other shops. We're friendly but there's like this competitive nature about the shops and shop managers don't stay in touch with each other about anything. So for example, that artist who was abusive to one of our coworkers, they were, we terminated them immediately, but guess what? They moved to another shop up the street and started working right away. That shop manager didn't ask us why we fired them. And we are a hundred percent guilty of not sharing that information with the shop or our customers because we didn't want to tank his career. But what does that do? It does, if nobody talks to each other, there's no ramifications for that person's behavior. The only thing that changed for them is their location. There's no accountability. And my other motivation for doing the seminar with Elevate was because um, one of the tattoo artist predators who had recently been charged with assault in Victoria had been floating around town from shop to shop. Well, how is he able to do that? It's because other shops don't talk to each other. We're not going to change anything until we start having a conversation. So my main goal was to get all the owners together to chat. And it was during COVID. So it was all going to happen on Zoom, which makes it easier because you can be in your pajamas. So I sent out an email to every shop in town. And I basically said, like, we want to invite you to participate in a roundtable talk we're hosting to discuss what we can do as shop owners to ensure predators are no longer able to work in Victoria tattoo shops. And I also said, you know, you might not like us or, or how we run our business, or maybe you think we're awesome and you never felt like you could reach out. But I think we can all agree that predators don't belong in our business. And so we hope you will attend this conversation. And then I emailed like 16 or 17 local Victoria shops and crickets. I think I heard back from two shops who couldn't attend because of financial reasons, one shop sent me back a mansplaining letter about how the conversation should be free, like Natasha's incredible wealth of knowledge isn't worth anything, and that it should be for tattooers talking to other tattooers about the business, not someone from outside the industry. Ugh, the audacity of that letter was so gross. But we did have two local shops sign up immediately. But guess what? Both women owned. <laughs> Our friends at Painted Lotus and Black Cat signed up right away and with great enthusiasm, as well as our friend Chris Hold, who lives in Vancouver. I was so depressed that nobody messaged me back. I know that you weren't surprised, but I had hopes that at least a few of the shops that we were personally friendly with would at least say like, hey, great idea, but I'm not ready to do this kind of work or something like that. But there was like nothing, no response. And the sound of silence coming from our local tattoo community made me feel so despondent. Like it, it hurt me. What I wanted to say is this, what I see now is this toxic tattoo culture defends and supports these predators by not doing anything. Their silence makes us complicit. Yeah. 
which is all fear-based because we all do it. We've all done it. We've all probably been inappropriate at one point in our career and don't want to get called out. So we stay silent. I'm sure there are things that I've done in the past that weren't great, but I'm not a geeky, awkward 22-year-old tattooer in the closet anymore. I'm an adult and I want to do the hard work to learn from my mistakes. Our roundtable with the other shops and Natasha was great. We had some incredible conversations and talked about strategies that could help us moving forward. And the best part of it was that we connected with Gwen at Painted Lotus and Kate at Black Hat. And um, it's nice to know that there are other allies in the city that we can lean on if we need anything. And we also did an Elevate Inclusion group chat with all of our staff. And I feel like everybody got something out of it. Yeah, there's always room to learn a little more. Our staff is amazing, right? They really are. And coming out of that, we were helped into an integrity contract. Uh, we'd never done anything like that before. We've never had anything written down. We, When we hired somebody, we would say, come to work on time. Don't do drugs at work, which that was pretty much for it. a list of two things <laughs> was pretty hard to fucking do. Um, but that was pretty much it. And with this integrity contract, we get a chance to talk to the artists about what our expectations are before they start working for us. And, and we worked on the integrity contract with the staff. Like everybody who works at our shop right now is into it. Everyone helped edit the contract. It's what we all want yeah. sh- our shop to be. Yeah. You know, if someone comes to work for us and they don't think they can be a decent and nice person at our place of business, then we don't really want them to work with us. It's super simple. It is not hard. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that you don't, like that we're not having fun and we can't get silly. It just means... If fun is punching down, then we don't want you to work for us. And then this like long, (laughs) this long conversation that we've had, the reasoning behind that to keep us back on Meet the Kramers is that all of this tattoo culture stuff is one of the first things I noticed in myself when I did come out. It immediately falling away. March 4th, I come out. March 5th, I wake up. I don't give a fuck about what people think about me. Everybody loves that I came out. Maybe some people are staying silent about it and who fucking cares? (laughs) I'm out. I'm doing my thing. Do they think I'm too corporate? Who cares? Am I I being too woke, too queer, too trans? I don't give a fuck. Get (laughs) over it. This is what I'm doing. This is what I want. This is what I think tattooing should be. I'm striving to be the best business I can because I don't want to become a dinosaur. That... Time in tattooing is over. Those guys are done. The thing that comes back to me day after day after day is this thing that I was taught very early on in my career by an older traditional tattooer who said, take care of tattooing and it will take care of you. The narrative behind that has always been Keep out people who don't look like you and tattooing will take care of you. Mm. I feel like I heard it again for the first time last year. And this is me doing that. I'm taking care of tattooing because they've had a chance to do it and they're ruining it. (laughs) It's me taking care of tattooing so that tattooing will take care of me is the new tattooing, not the old shit. Yeah. 
we didn't do it for money. We didn't do it because we wanted to raise our profile or whatever. We did it because it was the right thing to do. And it's our responsibility to educate ourselves so we can be better. As a result of your coming out and changing our shop culture, what happened to our business? Like, I think it's important to talk about because if someone out there feels insecure about making changes in their business, like we did, um, we want them to know that it's possible to continue to succeed if you make changes and you make space. Will you lose customers? Totally. Do you really want those kind of customers that are transphobic or queerphobic, racist? No, <laughs> it's not worth it. I promise. I do not want their money. And as soon as we waved our flag proudly, we started losing the time wasters. We started losing the soul suckers. We started losing the energy vampires. And now our shop is full of customers who are fucking awesome. And why? Because it, we've made space for them. And you don't have to do what we did like hiring a company to do a corporate overhaul. I mean, you can if you have the ability, but there's, um, what's that book that you're reading? Uh, the book is Could This Be Magic? Tattooing as Liberation Work by Tamara Santibanez. And it is the first time I've seen anything like this written down, applied specifically to tattooing and the way it works. It's a fantastic book, but it's also part workbook. And there's tons of practical guidelines around consent and boundary practices. Some really great ideas on shaping a more ethical industry for the future. It is amazing and well worth the price tag. And I want to say it again, coming out helped me care less about what my peers thought. It was liberating. I was so happy. I am so happy. I'm so free to unapologetically be me and my default that to make sure other tattooers thought I was cool enough or I could be in the club, it vanished overnight. That feeling about people having a positive or negative image out there, thinking about people saying bad things about me, I feel like I'm creating so many more things for them to say about me, <laughs> but it's all disappeared. I just want to be surrounded by the people that I love and that love me for me. Coming out was the best thing I've ever done with my life. Jamie was wrong. He was dead fucking wrong. And I cannot thank everyone enough for all the support since I've come out. I am honestly the happiest, queerest trans baby that ever lived. <laughs> and then the next two weeks after you came out were like incredible. I'll never forget how like light and airy everything felt. And it was just, everything was just coming up Jerry. It was amazing. And then the pandemic hit and the whole world went into lockdown. Sound engineering for this episode by the one and only Gavin Stacy. Just a little reminder, we are shifting our podcast schedule from once a week to every two weeks. I know it's a bummer, but we promise the upcoming content will be worth the wait. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thank you.